0: All right, so Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 13, as we continue through the Gospel according to Mark. Look at the first two verses here. It says, uh, Then as he went out, that is he, Jesus, then as he, Jesus, went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Father, we pray that as we look at the first uh, 13 verses of chapter 13 today, as we always ask that you would give us insight and understanding, Father, that we would pray, we pray, Lord, that we would see that you so faithfully spoke the future prophecy. You spoke the future before it came to pass, so that once it came to pass or comes to pass, we might know that you are truly God. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd build our faith today as we spend time in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, he was, remember, in the temple courts there, When it says that he left the temple, again, I I like to point this out because I think sometimes as Christians, we think as Christians, and we're not thinking, you know, biblically, we're not thinking of the fact that that Jesus, even though he is Messiah, he is God in the flesh, that Jesus in his incarnation could not go into the temple. If he went into the temple, they would have taken him out and they would have stoned him to death. The only ones who could go into the temple were the priests. And so when it says that he left the temple, it, it speaks of him leaving the temple precinct. So he leaves the temple. He starts descending down the Temple Mount into the Kidron Valley. And then he makes the ascent to the Mount of Olives. And we'll see in a moment here, he stopped there at the Mount of Olives, looking back across to the Temple Mount. And that's where he continued to teach. You wonder, when you look at these things, what they might have, must have been thinking. I mean, you know, this unnamed disciple, one of the 12, no doubt, points out how marvelous the buildings are, the stones and everything. And, um, and yet Jesus says, almost like a downer, you know, he just says, you see all these stones, you see all these buildings, not one stone will remain upon another. And you almost wonder what that disciple thought when he heard these things. I mean, this is heavy. Lord, this is heavy. Maybe he thought for a moment, this is impossible, Lord. Do you know how long it took to build this structure? Do you know how large these stones are? How how could you possibly take one stone off of another and dismantle this entire temple? Now, of course, from our perspective, we know that this was fulfilled. It was fulfilled six years after the temple was actually finished. The temple wasn't even finished when when Jesus spoke these words. So he spoke these words about 33 AD and and uh, the temple wasn't completed until sometime later, 6 years after that, AD 70, we know that General Titus, Roman general, he comes in. He's not alone, he has the 5th, the 12th and the 15th Roman legions. They come in and they sack the city and they destroy the temple. Now, apparently Titus did not want to destroy the temple. He didn't want to harm the temple at all. I mean, this was like uh, one of the, you know, seven wonders of the ancient world at that time. I mean, it, was, it really was a more marvelous, magnificent building. But supposedly, a drunk soldier threw a torch, or I have read that there was a, you know, a flaming arrow or something, something with fire on it, and he shot it toward the temple. And you might be thinking, well, it's stone. How's it going to burn? Well, it wasn't completely stone. It didn't have a stone roof. It had beams and, and wood and, and, and there. And, and so the temple caught on fire. And as the fires got hot, the people who ran into the temple, again, against the law, uh, not civil law, but the Jewish law, ran into the temple because it was the strongest structure in the city. They were literally cremated in the temple. And as the gold of the roof of the temple began to melt, it began to melt down into the cracks of the stone. And that's why the Roman soldiers came and actually heaved stone off, to, off of stone off of stone. Now, again, in our minds, we, we think, well, I could kind of picture that, and maybe we're picturing, you know, maybe stones this size. But Josephus, the Jewish historian, told us that the stones of this temple, in fact, if you've gone to Israel, you've probably gone down below, kind of by the wailing wall down, and you could see some of the stones that date back to the time of Herod's temple. But some of the stones... Were forty feet long. Think of that—forty feet long, uh, twenty feet thick, eleven feet tall, weighing five to six hundred tons each. And so, this wasn't an easy task, but they destroyed the temple. So, so here it is. We've looked at two verses, and you could say prophecy spoken, prophecy fulfilled. Right, guys. It's important because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, you say you always say that, Dan. That's true. And I always explain that it's not a magical thing. It's not you just read it and all of a sudden the faith meter goes up. It's that as you're reading the scripture, you see that God spoke things. He revealed things before they took place. So that when they took place, when they came to pass, we might have faith in him. Our faith meter might go up. So Jesus spoke these things that were fulfilled from our perspective. But Jesus, of course, didn't stop there. He makes his way up to the Mount of Olives look at verse 3 it says now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple Peter James John and Andrew asked him privately tell us when would these things be so they're obviously troubled by this there was one that asked the question uh, originally the first two verses but apparently he spoke in such a way that the others could hear it so now they want to know when's this going to happen when is the temple going to be destroyed? And uh, and then they also asked another question, and what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? So, guys, uh, we have the synoptic Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic Gospels. They're very, very similar, though there are some differences. In Matthew's Gospel account, and you could turn back there if you'd like, Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24... I'll just read the first two verses. It says, And Jesus went out, of, went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading back too far. Verse 3. <laughs> now, as, That's why I'm always late. I just keep repeating myself. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? So first question, when will these things be? Again, destruction of the temple, no doubt. And what will be the sign of your coming? So second question has no relation to the temple. What will be the signs of your coming? And then the third question, and the end of the age. And so three questions. First question, well, the first question is spoken of in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 21, I'll read it to you. In verse 34, let's see, it's not 34. I went too far here. Seven. Um, it is 20, verse 20, sorry. So it says, uh, but when you see, so Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, so that would be the Roman armies, Uh, Then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in uh, the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, if you're familiar with... Um, the Olivet Discourse, you might be thinking, okay, now I'm confused. Because my reading of the Olivet Discourse, i.e. Matthew's account, Mark's account, that Jesus was speaking of the tribulation when he says, um, when you see these things, and I'll say, I'll, I'll give clarity to that thing that I'm referring to in a moment, flee. Guys, we need to understand that Bible prophecy... So often we we want these neat little packages. But with Bible prophecy, many times things just flow. You'll find that many times there is a near and a far application of Bible prophecy. I think that the near application to Bible prophecy for the disciples was the destruction of the temple. When the temple is being destroyed, when Jerusalem is being sacked by the Roman soldiers, pray, you know, you know, don't go in, you know, get out of Jerusalem as quickly as you can. You know, you know it'd be best if you weren't pregnant because it's going to be difficult to, to travel at that time. But it's also true that when the abomination that caused desolation, and that's the thing that I was referring to, spoken of by Daniel, which will happen when? It didn't happen then. It didn't happen in AD 70. It will happen in the future. It will happen... When the Antichrist sets up an image on the wing of the temple, as Revelation tells us. So at that time, too, he says, it'd be best if you weren't pregnant at that time. Pray that, you know, it's not in the winter. It would be best if it's not on the Sabbath. You know, it's going to be difficult for you. So when you see things repeated, rather than looking at it and saying, okay, we need to reinterpret this whole thing. Luke was obviously dealing with the destruction of the temple. It's apparent. He's speaking of the armies coming, sacking the city and everything. But when you go back to Mark's account, and Jesus begins to answer the question, again, the three questions, tell us, when will these things be, the destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age? As Jesus is answering these questions, he's speaking of, the tribulation, the great tribulation that will come. Though it sounds similar, it's not the same. I hope you're tracking with this. I know that sometimes Bible prophecy can be complicated. Guys, you look at our world today, and we are not in the tribulation. Let me make that perfectly clear. There's no way we're in the tribulation right now. But what do we see? What do we hear about? Well, if you're paying attention, you know that There is a lot of talk about uh, famines in the world. There's a lot of talk about wars and rumors of wars. I mean, just, it's amazing how many nations are added to the list of nations that are either going to war or talking about going to war. Um, We talk about, uh, we hear quite a bit about a lack. You know, we're told, we're told that, um, you know, in France, uh, the people of France are told that they need to get used to living with less. In Germany, the people are told they need to learn uh, to keep warm this cold winter by some other means than turning on their electricity and their heaters. And uh, the world, we're told that there is a shortage. There will be a shortage this fall. Well, we're in fall, so fall has begun. And so it's yet to be seen. Though I know that, you know, it started quite a while ago that you go to go into the store and sometimes the items that you're used to buying aren't there. You're not finding them on the shelves. I think that we're going to see an increase of that. You look at what's happening politically. Politically, you have, you have governments, literally, that are collapsing. You have, where are the leaders of the world? We surely don't have a leader in the White House. I mean, we laugh about it, but really it's a sad situation. I believe it's God's judgment upon this nation. You might say, well, why would he judge us? Because to whom much is given, much is expected. We have been a Christian, Judeo-Christian nation. At least we were built upon those principles. Just as I would say Great Britain was in its day. But because Great Britain though the preachers, the great preachers of the past came from there and preached the gospel, brought the gospel, in many cases, to America and preached the gospel in America, that though they were blessed, though they had been given much, they uh, they left their first love for Christ, and Christ removed their lampstand. And today you go to the UK and you don't find churches you don't find you find monuments to christianity you don't find great strong healthy churches where the preachers of the past they don't they they don't exist any longer the churches have been replaced by mosques or nightclubs or whatever else might take over these church buildings and the united states is the same way we've been blessed we've been given so much. But we live in, and this has been noted for probably the past 20 years or more, that we live in a post-Christian nation. Uh, If you're paying attention, the powers that be in our country have lumped us together with others, you know, politically speaking. They're all the same, these are the dangerous ones. I mean, we just saw the, you know, president addressing the nation with his blood red background <laughs> and his intimidation, and and you would think, man, we are we must be in the midst of a civil war because I, you know, the what he's describing doesn't sound like, you know, what we're experiencing in a day to day living. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't fight with my neighbors. We don't talk. About politics, I get along with the people who live around us. I don't hate my neighbors if they happen to have voted differently than I voted. But you would think that that's the case, that we are a divided nation, that we're just full of hate and everything else. So what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? What's happening? Well, Jesus told us. Jesus said that in the last days, he said, he answered, answering them, began to say, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. They will say specifically, I am he, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. But, and then he goes on. I'll come back to verse 7 in a moment. So the first thing he says, he says you need to pay attention because in the last days, leading up to the tribulation, and surely in the tribulation, it will be marked as a time of deception. The church is deceived in many ways. There are many Christians that are deceived. There are many Christians that don't know what, you know, how to how to even read Scripture, how to even interpret Scripture, how to study Scripture, because they've been dumbed down. You go to churches where the lights are down dim. And, uh, you know, you're the audience and the preacher is the entertainer with the worship band playing gently in the background or loudly, whatever it might be. And you come as spectators and you're not expected to open your Bibles because you couldn't see your Bibles anyway because there's no lights on in the, in the, in the sanctuary. And this, is, this has been this dumbing down that's happened. I mentioned on Wednesday night, Wednesday night we had Uh, kind of a, we answered some questions that had been sent in concerning eschatology, things pertaining to the last days. And um, I was saying, I had mentioned that uh, last week I had sent to me a few times some information there's a, a, a uni- Christian university out of Arizona and they're doing these polls on Christianity, what Christians say they believe and how it looks in real life and everything. And And they came out with a new one and it was um, a third of senior pastors in churches today believe that people can be good enough to earn a right standing with God or to earn access to heaven. Now, That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says that no one is good, no, not one. All have sinned, all have fall short of the, you know. If it's dependent upon us, all of us are going to hell. The Bible says that uh, Christ came to redeem sinners. It's Christ's work of redemption on the cross. It's not anything that we've done. We simply place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But if you have churches like that, then when it comes to Bible prophecy... And you have someone that says, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. Jesus could come back tomorrow, or he could come back 10,000 years from now. Do you catch it? They're belittling the fact that Jesus is coming back anytime soon. And yet, if they were reading the scriptures, if those folks were reading the scriptures, if that pastor was reading the scriptures, he would have to conclude that when Paul wrote concerning the coming of the Lord, concerning the rapture of the church, he wrote as if he thought that Christ could come in his lifetime. There was an eminency. There was an urgency. There was a belief that Jesus could come at any time. And, of course, that's been diminished. It's been diminished, and many Christians don't even know how to Read or to study or to even listen to Bible prophecy because they've been duped to believe in a replacement theology. Replacement theology is that the church has replaced, or that, uh, yeah, the church has replaced Israel. So Israel has no place, they would say, with the Lord. So every promise that was ever given to Israel now applies to us. Many of you have gone to churches like that and you don't even know it. And so you, you would sit there and, and you would say, I, I, I guess, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. We've had people that have come to church here. We've had people that have come to our little prayer meeting. That's a small group, I'll tell you. And they began to pray about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. It wasn't the kingdom come, they will be done, as we're told to pray, but almost as if we are going to usher in the kingdom of Christ now, that the church is going to do that. The church can't do that. Things are falling apart. This is what Jesus told us. He says, listen, the days prior to my coming, the days leading up to the tribulation, are going to be a time of deception. There will be a time when many will come in my name. I thought it was interesting. I just kind of did a little Google check. And presently, presently in the world today, there are, individuals in Siberia, South Africa, Brazil, England, Tokyo, um, Zambia, uh, Australia, and New York City who claim to be Christ himself, who have a following. These are just the ones that are better known. And of course, we know throughout church history there have been those who have claimed to be um, the Christ. You know, I don't know. it. I guess it depends on how old you are. But, you know, we were living up here when David Koresh and his compound was burnt down. Do you remember that? David Koresh claimed to be Christ. Uh, Jim Jones, before that, Jim Jones took his followers to Guyana. And uh, there they committed 900 plus people and children committed suicide. Unbeknownst to them. You know, the poison was put into the Kool-Aid. They didn't know. And the ones that realized as people started dropping dead, they were forced to drink the Kool-Aid. This is where you get the terminology, by the way. You know, when you hear terms and you say they drank the Kool-Aid, it's in reference to Jim Jones and the people's temple. We've had many who have claimed to be the Christ but in Revelation chapter 6, the opening of the first of the seven seals, seal judgment, you know, there's three sets of judgments in the book of Revelation. There's the seal judgment, there's the trumpet judgment, and then there's the bull judgment. But at the very beginning, we read these words, Now I saw when the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like uh, like thunder, excuse me come and see and I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow excuse me and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer now how many of you have heard, well, that's Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. He's on a white horse. And we know that the good guys always ride white horses. I guess you'd have to be old like me to believe that. You know, we grew up with cowboy shows, and you always knew who the bad guys were because they had the black hats, and the good guys always had the white hats. You say, but isn't Jesus going to come back on a white horse? I mean, I th- I think I heard that somewhere. He is. At the end of the tribulation, he's coming back in Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war, and his eyes were like, and it goes on. Taking from chapter 1 of Revelation, the description that Jesus gave and it begins to speak of those things. So there's no question that in chapter 19 it speaks of Jesus. So what's the point? The point is we are living at a time where there are false Christ, there are false prophets deceiving people, but it's just leading up to the ultimate false Christ, the Antichrist. John wrote in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And then he adds, By which we know it is the last hour. How would he know that that's a sign of the last hour? Because he was there when Jesus said, There will be deception in the last days. In the last days there will be deception. There will be those who claim to be me. Don't believe them. They're lying. Do you know that in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel speaks, and I would encourage you to look at it, not now, but look at it sometime later, and just read through Daniel chapter 9's prophecy, and you'll see how it just flows. It doesn't stop. It doesn't say, number one, this is the first, and number two, this is the second. It just flows, and so you have to see how Bible prophecy is laid out in the Bible. But Daniel was told that there would be three princes that would come. Did you know that? The first prince would be the Messiah. It spoke of his triumphal entry and the fact that he would be cut off. The word cut off means crucified. It used the term crucified, it uses that picture before crucifixion was even practiced. Well, how would how would they know? Because God is eternal, God is outside of time. You hear me say it quite often on Palm Sunday. That the Jews should have been waiting for the very day that Jesus made his triumphal entry. They should have waited. They should have been anticipating that Jesus was going to make his triumphal entry on that day, on that date. Based upon what Daniel was told. I mean, to the very day. To the very day. The second prince that Daniel was told about was a prince who would destroy The city and the sanctuary, that was speaking of General Titus. Now was there a gap between the first prince, Messiah, and the second prince, General Titus? Yes, there was a gap. And then there's a third prince that would come. The third prince would be the one who would make and break a seven-year covenant with Israel, speaking of Antichrist. Was there a gap? Is there a gap? Antichrist hasn't come is there a gap between the second prince, General Titus, and, and the, the third Yes. The book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13 and, and on, gives us detail concerning the Antichrist and what he'll be doing. Guys, when Antichrist comes upon the scene, he will present himself as a man of peace. He will deceive the nations. He will deceive Israel. In fact, most likely he will help Israel rebuild their temple and that will really sell them, you know, on the deal. They'll say, this is the one. This is the one. They will believe that he is their Messiah until the abomination that caused desolation. Guys, if you don't know why that would make any difference, you got to go back and you got to be students of your Bible because from a Jewish perspective... For any man claiming to be a Messiah, the Messiah, setting up an image. Are you following, guys? The law? Thou shalt not have any image, right? An image. They would say, there's no way this could be the Messiah. The Messiah would not tell us to do something that is a direct violation of the law that was given to us. And that's when they will flee. And many of them will flee to Petra so it will be a time of deception. Verse 7, back in Mark chapter 13. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things, not this must happen, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Do you know that there has been, um, <laughs> since the time of Christ, there have been so many wars. I, I mean, let's see, what did I write down here? There has been. There has only been one year of peace for every 13 years of war. We don't even know peace. That's why we should long for the Prince of Peace, Jesus, to come and to set up his kingdom on the earth. Then we'll truly know peace. We don't know peace now. But you have wars and rumors of wars? Again, you know, I mean, it's like every day there's something new. We know in Iraq, or I'm sorry, Iran, you know, they want to they take out Israel. And, you know, Israel's surrounded by nations that hate her. And, and I mean, I mean it's, just, it's just a mess. You look at America, we've got our share of enemies, don't we? You know, uh, we're the big Satan. They're the little Satan as far as Iran is concerned. And, and you just look at this. And in fact, wars and rumors of wars—we're not even moved by that any longer. We could hear that a war broke out today in some place, and it wouldn't even—we go, oh, oh, whatever. Wouldn't even affect us. How about the nation against nation? You guys know—I've said it before. Maybe you don't remember, but—but but the word nation is that Greek word ethnos. And ethnos speaks of nationality. And I'll tell you guys, I want you to just think about this for a moment. Two years ago, before two years ago, I guess, prior to two years ago, how many times a week would you hear the word racist or racism? Over the past two years, how many times a week do you hear the word racist or racism it's every day I mean you disagree with someone you're a racist even when I even when it didn't apply it's just it's like it's like that word that you just throw to tag on people and and I'm telling you there is an agenda there is this agenda to divide people to divide nationalities but I'll tell you during the tribulation period it's going to be horrific there's going to be so much hate on the earth can't even imagine being here during the tribulation it's going to be horrific well again you know it's interesting we're not in the tribulation but you look at the beginning of the tribulation and the the opening of the the seals the seal judgments and you see these things you know falling and you see the antichrist coming you know he would be the De- deceiver the wars and rumors of wars you know famine the third seal well it goes on let me let me read this I'm not there yet for um, and there will be earthquakes in various places now you know I, whenever you mention earthquakes people always say there's always been earthquakes Yeah, I challenge you just for a week just for seven days just, just see the uptick in earthquakes and then Do your research and say, um, make it fun. (laughs) Say, this date, three years ago, how many earthquakes? And we see this increase. Good, it doesn't affect us because we're not, you know, we're pretty protected here on Whidbey Island. We're waiting for the big one, you know. You always live where you're waiting for the big one. I grew up in California. We kept waiting for the big one, you know. We're all going to fall into the sea, you know, the big one. And um, But earthquakes and famines and troubles look at that. He says, "These are the beginning of sorrows. You know what that means, don't you? These are the beginning of birth pangs. Now, when a woman goes into labor, when she begins to have contractions, there's something that's certain. labor is coming there's going to be a baby there's going to be a birth because there's no stopping the contractions you can't say well let's just hold off for a year or two you know we're not quite ready for that you know if the contractions have started you know that you're drawing close guys listen we're not in the tribulation but if we're starting to see the foreshadows of things that will take place during the tribulation how close are we Please don't miss my point. My point is not to scare you. My point is to prepare you. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, you need to place your faith in Christ. We are beyond, you know, I'll tell you, churches are closing like crazy right now. I mean, they're just folding up, you know. You have you have men in pulpits that aren't called to be pastor-teachers, and because of the pressure or whatever it might be, they're buckling, they're walking. And a lot of these churches, they're going belly up. And, uh, you know, I don't... Maybe that's a good thing. You know, I, I don't know. But I just think of how, you know, when you start going through difficult times, the church stops playing. I don't know over the years, how much heat I've taken over the years because I've been a faithful shepherd to point out the heresies that were a threat to the church. And I would point out these heresies and I would have people say, oh, don't, don't even go there. Oh, don't even talk about that. I'm offended. That's my pet peeve. I like that thing. How do you know? You're questioning the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many times I've had this happen. I've had an elder at this church. Years ago, I was teaching on the emergent church. Now, I want to teach on the emergent church any longer. You know why? Because the emergent church has emerged into mainline Christianity. It's not a threat. It's, it's, it's moved into the living room. But I was warning folks about that. And I remember he, you know, came in. We don't need to hear this. And we had a discussion. <laughs> we don't, I said, We do need to hear this. So he left. He left. He went up the street to a church that some of you went to, and your pastor made him an assistant pastor in a matter of months. And I don't know that he's in the ministry any longer. Because there's not this concern for the threat of the church. Oh, just don't go there, don't go there. You know what I find? No one's laughing in the spirit any longer, because there's nothing funny. Nobody's barking like dogs any longer, because that, that's passe. It's time to get serious. Do you see what I'm saying? The bizarre stuff that happens in churches and people so naively say, it's the Spirit of God. How can you question? That's the Spirit of God. That's the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And you want to bash your head against the wall. I want to bash my head against the wall and say, how could you say that? Do you know the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Why would God, why would he create confusion in his church? Why would he do that? Why would he cause division like this in his church? Why would he lead people into heresy in his church? He wouldn't do it. The deception started a long time ago. It has infiltrated the church. We are living in the last days. Jesus is coming. Antichrist will not be revealed in the until the church is removed when is the rapture I have no idea when the rapture is it could happen at any moment but when it happens it's happened it's done it there's there's no wait wait a minute hold on he goes on and he describes, What they would experience, and it it really is, verse 90 says, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the council, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must uh, uh, must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it, for it, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sound proclamation. Not craziness. Craziness. Now, brother will betray brother to death. Think of the seriousness of this. Really, Jesus? Brother will betray brother to death? And a father his child. I can't imagine that. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all. For my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Listen, that was true of them. Every one of the apostles were martyred, except for John the Beloved. But every one of them was mistreated or, 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 you know, scourged or whatever might have happened to them. Hideous things happened to them throughout church history. Today, in the world, we have Christian brothers and sisters They're having their limbs cut off because they're followers of Christ. Having pages of the Bible shoved in their mouth because we refer to the word of God as the bread of life or the manna that came down from heaven, you know. Jesus is the bread of life. Women are raped because they're followers of Christ. And here's a problem that makes me want to just rage because in America, our, our faith is about this deep. And all we can come back with, God would, my God would never allow that to happen. And we don't understand the persecution that comes from those who hate Christ. And we're not exempt from that. Do you know we're exempt from, guys? We're exempt from the wrath of God. Jesus is going to pour out his wrath on, during the tribulation. We're not going to be here because we're not subject to the wrath of God. We're exempt from that. Why? Because the wrath that was due us was laid on Christ. If you're a believer, you need to get serious about your walk with Jesus. You know, he who steals, steal no more. You know, Uh, (laughs) what the exhortation from Paul and I'm not saying. that we're going to lose our salvation. I don't think we can lose our salvation. But we can waste precious time. And I believe that we are living in the greatest time in church history because we're living in a sick world with sick and dying people all around us And their sickness is exploited by the powers that be. And we parade people who have mental illnesses or are demonically possessed. We parade them and we celebrate them in our nation. And you know, when I got saved, I got saved kind of at the end of the Jesus movement, toward the end of the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement in Southern California was unique in that you had people that were absolutely zealous for the Lord, and they would share the gospel with anybody they came into contact with. And you literally, you could not, you could not go, (laughs) you could not go to the airport You could not go to the zoo. I grew up in San Diego, so you could not go to any of the amusement places. You could not go out surfing without Jesus people sharing the gospel with you. You could not go to the grocery store without young Jesus people just standing out there. Could I talk with you? Do you have a few moments? I mean, it's just, Unbelievable, and I don't know where they've all gone. They've all disappeared, you know. Maybe they're all raptured. But, um, but I, I think of how we live in a time where I think people are more prone to listen than maybe we even were in the 60s and 70s, you know. And we have the answer. We have the remedy, We have the, uh, and some of us aren't being used by the Lord because we've given ourselves to other things. if you give yourself to pornography, you feel ashamed. You you know, the enemy is right there to say, who are you to tell someone about Jesus? He's got you. He's got you. Or you have this fantasy world in your mind, or, or you're bitter, or you're jealous, and you're just all bent up, you know, and, And it's like the enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren. And so, you know, whatever we're into, you know, he's going to throw that in our face. And I'm convinced that the Lord is saying to his church, would you you please recognize the times in which you live? Would you please? You know, um, we don't know how bad things might get. This is for some of you, because some of you are really critical of me. I don't know why you come to this church. Honestly, I don't. But some of you will think that this is somehow a boast. But if things get bad, I will be gone early on because of my mouth. And do we have men that will step up and say, I, I'll step into that spot until they're gone? I mean, will it come to that? Again, we don't think it will because we've never experienced it in our country, but it could happen. And I just, as for myself, and I, you know, I, we have a large family. There's 25 of us. It's going to be 26 there. Is that 26 or 25? 25. And we talk like this when we get together. We, we have fun. It's not heavy all the time. But I'll tell you, our, our family, we, we talk about things like this. Because we want to be ready. We don't want to be caught unawares. Anyway, I'm done. Hip, hip, hooray. Would you stand with me, please? Father, would you please move in our hearts, Lord? I, I Forgive me for trying to do something that only you could do. And I pray, Father, that you would please move upon our hearts. I pray, Lord. Lord, you know I'm not just praying now for the sake of the folks. You know that I pray about this alone. But I pray for the men, especially the men, I pray, because they're called to be leaders who just are so easily offended they just isolate themselves and they don't want to be a part of the the greater group and and pray for them Lord Jesus pray that you would move upon their heart pray that you would move upon our hearts that we would have courage beyond ourselves we pray Lord Jesus that whatever may come that we would be able to face it with faith in you that we would not throw our faith away because things don't seem to be going the way we thought they would go, but rather we'd be people of your word and say, this is what you said must happen. <laughs> and then we say, oh yeah, that's right. These things must happen. So help us, Lord. We pray, Maranatha, we pray that you come. We pray that you come for the church soon and very soon before things get really bad, but we Think of our brothers and sisters in countries where things have already gotten really bad. We pray for them. Help them, Lord Jesus. Strengthen them, Lord Jesus. We trust, Lord, that you are moving upon their hearts when they doubt. Fill their heart with hope and assurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.